Our Father, again, we recognize that you are the one who is sovereign over all things. You created all things. You uh, superintend and manage your creation, though you've allowed evil through Satan and then uh, Adam and his descendants. You've allowed evil into the perfect world that you had created. Nevertheless, uh, you still do manage the affairs of uh, our world and our people. And Father, uh, though you may set into positions of power people who are evil, yet you nevertheless uh, work through this, the conditions here uh, upon this planet in ways that are so far beyond our understanding in order to uh, draw to yourself in saving faith those that uh, are chosen. And uh, so, Father, I thank you that we've been included in that work that's far beyond our understanding in its majesty and in its glory. Father, I, 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 uh, I know there are many things to be thankful for, and we do thank you for all things. And also for many things that have been mentioned here this morning, uh, uh, that our country has been preserved through many trials for so long, and our liberties, which are given by you, have been recognized, and, and even in our governmental system, often protected and supported. So, Father, we're so thankful for that. We're thankful that our president's daughter has declared publicly that she is for the life, she stands for the life of the unborn. And what a wonderful thing that is, Father. And there's so many enemies that stand against uh, the unborn. And it just breaks our hearts, Father, to consider that whole issue that seems to be close to becoming predominant even. Uh, can't believe it, but uh, I pray, Father, that it wouldn't become the predominant view in this land, and certainly that our government would never uh, continue to, would not continue to support it as it has now for so long, since the early 70s. Father, I, I thank you for encouraging so many through the president's rallies, and I just pray for his sustaining uh, energy and health and uh, that you give him protection through this as he continues today and also tomorrow. So, Father, may many, uh, perhaps many who have never voted or were not planning on voting, might change their mind and, and vote accordingly, Father. And we understand that that movement is underway, and I thank you for that. Father, I, I just uh, thank you for blessing us all here, keeping us safe from the virus, keeping uh, our children and grandchildren safe, and some off in college, Father, please continue to be a blessing to them and uh, a protection. And Father, that they would set their minds and hearts on heavenly things as they are involved in the uh, university environment, which often is quite challenging for believers that you'd remind us to call out to you regarding all those that suffer persecution in this world, some even to death, perhaps a great, great many we are not 
well aware of. Father, I, I pray that you support those in China where there's a great number of believers being persecuted and in other Muslim countries. But also here, Father, increasing persecution, it seems. Father, I pray for our nation uh, as the election occurs and events uh, that some have planned to disrupt either the election or our nation after the election. Father, I pray that all this would be worked out somehow by your great, great power and your hand upon our nation. And I pray that we'd be preserved and that our liberties as enshrined in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and in the Declaration, that they would be honored in our voting and that they would be preserved. And Father, I just pray for those that, that may be in harm's way regarding those perhaps violent demonstrations as have been promised by many, really, even leaders in our land, even former and current presidential candidates who have uh, said they're justified. Father, I pray that the enemy would be defeated and all of his willing servants wherever they may be found and that you protect law enforcement and, and all those others who dare to stand in the breach as it were and to speak truth to those who are so uh, rebellious and evil. Father, please uh, bring peace to our land according to your perfect will, even in these dark days. And may many, may many realize that there's no hope in the world, but there is a hope that's eternal and that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And may their eyes be opened during this time. And all this we pray with much more thanksgiving in Christ's name and, and amen. Well, today is the second part of uh, what we started last time, which I called Establishing order in the churches, practically speaking. So today, part two of that. A very quick review because we have so much ahead today that I don't want to be forced to skip over because of how rapidly the clock seems to be moving. <laughs> the hands keep moving. We cannot stop that. So a uh, quick review. First of all, I'm going to read three verses from 1 Timothy chapter 3, because it really sets the stage for the second half of this letter to Timothy. And uh, what are those verses? First so Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, 
preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So much there. We've already spoke concerning it quite much, and uh, uh, so I won't say more now about it, but the key word there is godliness, and then the mystery of godliness, and that is the key word in the second part of this letter. Um, the Apostle Paul in chapter 4 writes more to Timothy regarding the teaching and the promotion of this great mystery, which he calls the mystery of godliness, okay? Um, he says uh, in 1 Timothy 4, we labor, this is verse 10, we labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, to doctrine. And then in verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine and continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Okay, here we have um, the word savior. This section is used in several different ways. But here in particular, he's talking about savior in the sense of um, the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected is indeed the savior of all. Verse 10 says that. But then he adds, especially of them that believe, right? And then here in verse 16, the doctrine which promotes that, in other words, promotes the mystery of godliness, right? That is to be, by Timothy, broadcast everywhere without hypocrisy, okay? And, and if that's the case, he says, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. From what? Well, from the evil of false teaching, of false doctrine. And so that's the whole emphasis here, false doctrine and how that false doctrine pro promotes a perverse view of godliness, a false view of godliness and of the mystery of godliness, not a true, not an authentic view of it. And that's what's worked out in the world. It is, uh, in fact, false godliness promoted everywhere, taking over the minds and heart of, hearts of so many. Even believers in the churches, I am so sorry to say, okay? That's what the social gospel's all about. Okay. Uh, also, last time we, we saw how the Apostle Paul puts a large focus on widows and uh, on showing proper respect for many uh, in the churches, well, really for all, but since he's putting into place leadership positions and appointments to uh, certain uh, offices of ministry, 
he he uh, puts a large a large emphasis here on showing proper respect to all to all men all women whether young or old because if he does not he will be unwisely appointing uh, some to positions of authority and influence who are not worthy and so that that was the whole focus here last time and most of the verses had to do with widows. Uh, there had been persecution and uh, martyrdom and perhaps other issues, maybe uh, illness that had made many into widows, married women who now are uh, on their own and have no means of support. Uh, and so there's much emphasis here on taking care of them properly. And he says that's essential for testimony within the churches, because even unbelievers often do care for their own, and they may care for their own better than believers do. What a sad thing that would be. So uh, there's much focus there on widows and how to decide whether or not they should be brought into uh, the, the area of support. Um, it seems that he's implying that there should be a special kind of ministry in the church, and that's uh, to be carried out by the older widows who be become totally dependent on the church itself for support, as opposed to the younger widows who he says should remarry. Okay, so that's what we find here in uh, those verses in chapter before verse 17, where we're starting today. Okay, our outline today, first of all, elders that rule well are worthy, especially if they labor in doctrine. <laughs> They're worthy, especially if they labor in doctrine. Okay. Secondly, Paul's son Timothy has heavenly observers overseeing his ministry, even angels. Hmm. Thirdly, the personal needs of one's life should never be ignored. Personal needs should not be ignored in ministry. Remember, he's writing to Timothy. So Timothy is being exhorted strongly to watch out for uh, what often occurs in ministry, where one may be so zealous that they do not take care of themselves. So he says, personal needs should never be ignored. Fourthly, good works, like some men's sins, are not always visible in public. So good works, like some men's sins, are not always visible in public. And Timothy's supposed to take note of that, and we'll look at that one uh, carefully. And then finally, separation is essential to godly leading and living. Separation from some, even in the churches, is essential to godly leading and living. So, wow, there's a lot here. First of all, elders that rule well are worthy, especially if they labor in doctrine. So, Gail, would you please read verses uh, 17 through 20 of chapter 5 for us? I will. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially 
say they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, also may fear. Thank you, Kale. Okay, so Paul does quote, or at least refer back to Deuteronomy chapters 24 and 25, and Leviticus 19. Uh, apparently, this is for Paul a pretty standard uh, and common, not not a dispensationally uh, ordered kind of thing at all, but just sort of common sense that applies always. And that's that those who serve God well are worthy of, he says, double honor, especially if they labor in word and doctrine. Okay, he adds that part. That's not found in in the Old Testament, not in the Law of Moses. This is talking about laboring in the word of grace and the doctrine, which is according to godliness, that properly presents the mystery of godliness, right? Those that labor in that ministry should be uh, counted worthy. He says of double honor, probably referring also to financial remuneration, because clearly if someone is is uh, serving in that kind of ministry, they may not be able to support themselves financially, uh, except by by support from the church. Although that's optional. We know that from other scriptures. Paul himself did not receive gifts from the church where he was ministering, but only from other churches. In other words, he was a minister at large um, and uh, not supported by the local churches where he was serving at the time. And uh, I think that that's a principle that's above even the other. Yes, counted worthy, but the uh, individual does not have to receive the, uh, the offerings may, like Paul did, uh, support himself, uh, in his case, through tent making, right? Okay, so that's uh, what's stated there in those first verses. But that elders be respected properly is, is, is a sort of a corollary of it. He says in verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. That's another fundamental principle. And I think these these verses underlie our understanding of how under the law uh, a person is innocent until proven guilty. You see how that's implied there. You see that? Received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. You can't just make unsubstantiated allegations, not in a godly perspective at least. Uh, it must not happen. A person's innocent before the authorities unless they are properly uh, convicted of, of a crime. So there have to be witnesses, you see. Eyewitnesses are always critical in any court situation. Okay, so then he says, anyone that sinned, let him be rebuked 
before all that others may fear. So it's a very serious uh, kind of exhortation there. And he's going to elaborate on that later. So let's just get on uh, with that. Okay, the second point then in the section is in verses 21 and 22, where Paul calls out to Timothy and he says, Timothy, you have heavenly observers overseeing your ministry. Oh, my, my, my. Uh, that should certainly uh, uh, encourage Timothy to take very seriously his office, right? It, it seems that he was responsible for the church at Ephesus uh, at this time and uh, that he has heavenly observers. Hmm. So let's uh, read that. Linda, would you please read those two verses for us, verses 21 and 22. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hand suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Thank you, Linda. So Timothy is responsible to appoint elders and also widows indeed, remember, and also deacons, and we looked at all of that previously. Much of this is also referred to in the letter to Titus, who was responsible over the church in, in the island of Crete, right? Titus, another letter of the Apostle Paul's. And so we saw how Timothy's responsible for this. Well, the gravity of it, the magnitude of it, the importance of doing this all correctly, pointing people to have positions of influence and authority is not a small thing at all. And Timothy is exhorted here to realize well that there are angels watching. <laughs> I just I find that just quite amazing. There's hardly any other place in, in, in scripture where you see this kind of language. Um, in one of Peter's letters, he says something about the angels watching. But here <laughs> he says the elect angels are sort of overseeing you, Timothy. So make sure you take your responsibilities uh, to heart and uh, as a most serious obligation indeed i wonder what the angels are watching for we could go into that i could speculate but i i won't right now um, so timothy is supposed to perform his his ministry there of, of selecting these people properly for offices and he's supposed to do it according to this uh, verse here, verse 21, without preferring one before another. In other words, make no judgments up front, consider all the evidence, and do not be partial to one. <laughs> I was thinking in our recent uh, confirmation proceedings for uh, Supreme Court justice that uh, this was the issue, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> Is a person going to be selected based upon the proper evidence or are they going to be prejudged? And so Paul is saying here, do nothing by partiality. 
And then he says in verse 22, lay hands suddenly on no man. I think he's talking about choosing one and appointing one without a proper time having passed a time for fair evaluation. It says, uh, don't lay hands suddenly on anyone, right? In other words, there's no priority there. Yes, the job needs to be accomplished, but in due time. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. It's an interesting uh, way that that's worded. I think what he's saying, and I see that it fits the whole context, which is why I, I, I believe that this is the correct interpretation. But I think uh, what he's saying is that if one observes carefully a person in the course of life and ministry, one will learn so much about what's in that person's heart. Okay? Now, there may be things hidden away there that we do not learn. But over time, they may be revealed, right? But if you just suddenly appoint someone to some position of authority before time has allowed these hidden things to be revealed, then you're really a participant. He's saying to Timothy, you would be sharing in that person's, hmm, what? Sharing in that person's sins. In other words, he'd be promoting them, certainly. And we see that in the churches today uh, quite often where this very thing occurs, right? And uh, then later in ministry, when it's very difficult to write that which is wrong and what's been accomplished has been so damaging for the for the um, witness and testimony of the church, right? Very difficult to recover from these things after the fact. But before, one waits, and remember, it's an exhortation to Timothy, who has this job of appointing people to these offices. So really, I think it's a very practical exhortation for Timothy. Don't jump into this. Be very careful. No partiality should be shown. Wait. Give due time for uh, the person's true heart and intentions to be revealed. Because, in fact, many will be uh, impure in their hearts, and uh, that may not be known until much later, unfortunately. Okay, so that's really what verses 21 and 22 are saying. But there are heavenly observers watching. <laughs> Timothy, be very careful about this. Um, notice he also says, and he, it's just to, to underscore the whole thing, keep thyself pure. Okay, so don't get caught up in unequal yokes. Uh, many times compromises may seem to be appropriate, but when the compromises are made, one actually enters into the how would we say this? The whole the whole section here is on on uh, godliness. So, if a person truly is ungodly, and they are then being promoted independently of that one, doing the promoting is uh, participating and and in, in, in some way or other uh, gaining a benefit. 
by that kind of a compromise. So these compromises are not to be made. So there's a principle of separation implied here. And that principle of separation is very, very important. And it's very much the center of, of the last chapter of this letter. So we'll leave some of that for later. But even here, this principle of separation is made clear. And it will become even clearer in just a moment as we get to the end of the chapter. Okay, the third point here is that Timothy needs to take care of himself. He needs to be well aware of his own limitations and not overextend himself, not do things that uh, may be unwise, just in terms of caring for himself, really, and his own needs physically. And so he says here in verse 23, and this seems entirely out of place, doesn't it? And I would say it's very parenthetical. It's right in the middle of two sections that go together. But right in the middle of these two sections, he says here in verse 23, what does he say, Lisa? Would you like to read it for us, please? Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. <laughs> Okay, it seems like exhorting someone to drink some wine is very strange. Why would <laughs> why would the great apostle Paul exhort Timothy to drink some wine? Because the water was bad. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the water is not so great. Okay, now the Romans were changing the world by building water systems that brought in from the mountaintops <laughs> nearly or from from high elevations uh, clean water right uh, down to the cities but here we are off in Ephesus I really don't know to what extent the Romans have succeeded they may have built some roads have they built water systems I don't know I'm skeptical but in any case there might very well be a problem with the water and Timothy seems to have been already affected by it okay his health is not great and so the apostle paul says drink some wine now see he doesn't just say to timothy hey drink as much wine as you'd like that would not be good that would be contrary to the will of god okay he says drink some wine okay well it's a personal letter for timothy to be exhorted right in the middle of really heavy teaching might seem a little strange but just remember it is a personal letter and paul maybe paul wanted to sort of lighten it up a bit at this point right he's just said to him realize your your ministry timothy is being observed by angels okay whoa and you need to uh, take uh, into account this and do your work very very well but of course if his physical health is not going to endure the challenges of this and paul had some sense of what the challenges ahead would be right that they would be very very difficult um, then his physical health becomes critically important so he says you know be concerned, Timothy. Take note. Uh, the water is perhaps one of the problems leading to your other issues. Okay. So the bottom line, though, is that taking a serious concern for one's own self and one's health, for example, 
while enduring the many trials of life and ministry is important, right? So burning oneself out, to use a common current expression, is not a wise thing. Okay, so that's the third point here. Now the fourth point, getting back then to the same subject he's already addressing, which is the selection of these people for key positions and how that process of selection should be performed. We, we have here uh, uh, good works, like some men's sins, are not always visible and public. So we need to be careful that which is invisible and hidden may ultimately prove to be most important. So two verses there. And uh, Anne, I'd like you to read those two verses for us, please. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you, Anne. Unless we put these two verses in the same context that's gone before, we may not understand what he's talking about here. I don't think Paul here is writing to Timothy about eternal judgment based on works. That is not the point of this, okay? We know that because he writes everywhere about that issue, right? So it's not about eternal judgment. It's how the, in the course of living out one's life, matters of the heart are revealed, right? And so the true nature of the fruit that's being born in one's life becomes known, right? Over time, though, not it may not be all known right now. It may take some time for the essence of that person's life to become manifest to all. So there are secret things that uh, are destructive in a person's life. So if one should be selected for these key offices, and then later these sins become known. Uh, it's a bit too late. Much damage has already been done. Okay, so I think that's what he's saying right here. Uh, some people very openly display in their lives uh, um, <laughs> their sinful intentions. Other people hide that very effectively, right? Um Going forth to judgment, he says, some sins are open beforehand going forth to judgment. What judgment? I think he's talking about the judgment of evaluation uh, of that individual, right? And, and, and others, um, they would be revealed later, right? Too late and so forth. Same with good works. For some, the good works are very visible early on and uh, not hidden later. Uh, they would be, of course, because he says... Uh, Truly good works uh, cannot be permanently hidden. So I think that's that's simply the uh, the teaching there. Uh, Paul's not writing about the final reckoning, uh, uh, the final judgment, or something like that here. Okay. Well, the fifth point here is an interesting one. It has to do with actually slave owners and slaves. And and, uh, <clears throat> and yet Paul is able to write about it in such an amazing way. Uh, let's just look at it now. Uh, the teaching will be 
that separation from some is essential to godly leading and living. Separation is essential. So, uh, Charlie, please read verses uh, 1 through 5 for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them a service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit, these things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and content not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil, surmisings, perverse disputings of men and corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. Okay, thank you, Charlie. So, many are going to use certain things that they observe as sort of the basis for division uh, in an ungodly way. They're going to, to create turmoil, confusion. In this case, it had to do with slave masters and their, their slave that that they were in charge of, okay, that they had control over and dominated. So slave masters and slaves, what is the relationship to be? Uh, he says, well, <laughs> there's this issue, and, and this has to do with uh, believing, he's writing, He's writing to believers, right? Not to unbelievers. So uh, there are slaves who have become saved. They are believers. And they're supposed to honor their masters, he says here. And this is amazing. In order that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. In other words, the testimony of the slave in the house of the master is very, very important. Now, some have the special benefit of having believing masters. It says here in verse 2, right? They that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they're brethren. So they, they have believing masters. Their masters may not be fair or kind. I mean, they may, may be difficult, but they're believers. He says, respect them as such and do them service, because they're faithful and beloved and partakers of the benefit. <laughs> so <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? So the relationship between these two different groups in this class structure that was current in that day, right? There's not supposed to be rebellion uh, by those who are believers against others uh, who are in uh, a, a controlling role over them. Um, there's supposed to be a proper godly relationship. And Paul here uh, in two verses uh, says how critically important that is. But more than that, more much more than that, he goes on here and he says, if anybody teaches otherwise than this, well, well if they are teaching otherwise, what are they teaching? And I would say probably that the slavery should have been uh, set aside and uh, overcome. Great rebellion might be necessary to accomplish that. 
none of that rebellion, that rebellious spirit is not going to be glorifying to God. And in fact, he says here not to support, because I don't think Paul thought, ever thought slavery was a good thing. It's just that the doctrine which is according to godliness is what's most important. That's in verse three here, right? If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness. Oh, my. Uh, He's saying those that promote that which is um, contrary to the doctrine, which is according to godliness. In other words, it doesn't properly communicate the mystery of godliness considered that back there in chapter three, right? Verse 16, those persons going contrary are causing great divisions, which are destructive of the order and peace uh, that one should find in the churches, right? So he says, those that promote those things are supposing, this is verse five that uh, shows the contrast so well, that uh, well, he says perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds destitute of the truth supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself so separation from those that conflict with the truth of god and this particular emphasis here is on the mystery of godliness right one should withdraw oneself from them, Paul says to Timothy. Well, that's interesting. So there are circumstances where not unity with, which would involve compromise if it were to be accomplished. Unity with evil always involves compromise. But from such one must withdraw. In other words, separation is a biblical doctrine. Uh, I could say so much about this and from personal experience, uh, too. What many are promoting is only for personal gain, in other words. What they uh, really are displaying is their own heart attitude, which is that gain is godliness, verse 5. Supposing that gain is godliness, but such is never the case. Okay. So that brings us to the end of the section. Uh, there are many who are supposing that gain is godliness. Actually, in our world today, we see that everywhere, right? But may the true godliness prevail. And I'd like us to finish up today. Next time, I'm going to start here at this point. But because of our circumstances here, we're only two days away from what's probably the most important election of our time. And Patty? I'd like you to read these last two verses. Patty? Would you please read these last, I said two, but it's really more than two verses. Just to set the stage for next time and to have our minds and hearts set on what's written here because this relates directly to our circumstances today. Okay, would you read that? But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, 
and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, Okay, thank you. You see how godliness really is the focus of the whole second half of this letter. And it's uh, very, very clear if we just take careful note of it. Uh, many do not accept the mystery of godliness and the doctrines that are according to that, but rather uh, are promoting their own uh, their own benefit. All of the money, they say, <laughs> could tell you a lot, right? Well, in verse 11, he says, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. Satan seeks to twist and turn true godliness into something that's false, right? He seeks to turn the true work of God into something evil and to supplant it by Satan's own version of good works. <laughs> and that is thoroughly, thoroughly evil. What Satan is doing in no way honors God. We must separate from those that promote evil, he says. Now that's a challenge because those may be people in our own families. And so clearly he's not saying, walk away, don't speak to members of your own family. He's not saying that. It's just that in the churches, proper order demands uh, a, 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 uh, an honoring of proper principles and people who are involved need to be uh, honorable. And uh, so Paul is commanding Timothy to set into place in the church's uh, leadership that is godly and promotes what? True godliness. Well, praise the Lord for that. Um, Okay, well, uh, that's uh, where we've come today. And Lord bless you all. And uh, if there are any comments, uh, uh, we're open for that. It's a heavy teaching, isn't it? Father God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us today. May your word be uh, exalted and may we cleave to it. It is the spiritual truth that we are so much in need of. Father, the days are dark. You know how dark they truly are more than we do, much more than we do, that they're dark indeed. And yet the light does shine, and it does shine in the hearts and in the darkness uh, through all of your people. Indeed, the church is the, uh, the home of uh, your truth and your light and your life. So, Father, may your life be manifested in us in these days. May it be a testimony to your grace and your love. And uh, as we approach this uh, election 
time and then go beyond it, Father. I pray that uh, we would continue to uh, be bold for you and for your precious truth. And may we never waited of that. And uh, may we rest in your good hand of protection and uh, in the confidence of that promise that says that your love will never be taken from us. And we would thank you, Father, in Christ's name. And amen and amen.